Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright, and today we're going to look at the readings for the third Sunday after Pentecost. It is a interesting reading that we get to discuss. We see Jesus out in his ministry, and we see something taking place that is interesting. We see people wanting to follow him, want to participate in his ministry, and So this is uh, St. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. And when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And right there, this is, of course, right before the crucifixion. And Jesus has explained to the disciples and, and preached to anybody else who is willing to listen that the Son of Man must go to the cross. He must suffer and be betrayed and tortured and then die for the sins of the world. And setting his face to Jerusalem really shows that he's on a mission. And everybody who is around him, everybody who is following him, is either enveloped in this mission or can see that he is on his way to complete what he has been sent to do. And of course, that is the salvation of all humankind. And so, uh, We have verse 52, and he sent a messenger ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. And this right here is picking a fight. And not that Jesus is picking a fight, but he is going into foreign territory or uh, enemy territory. And what I mean by that is, as we have heard in other biblical accounts and biblical stories, the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. And so for Jesus to send a messenger to prepare for a spot, to prepare for a place so that Jesus can preach, so that Jesus can teach, Jesus can bring the message of salvation to the Samaritans, this is a little bit of a slap in the face. Now, Uh, to the Samaritans, because the Samaritans have already set up and established the way that they want to worship. They are an offshoot of the Jewish religion, but they do not see that Jerusalem is the center of worship. They actually have their own places that they can worship, and they have their own ways of worshiping. And so for a Jew to come in and say, I'm going to teach you the right way, I'm going to teach you the ways of God— They're going to look at Jesus and any Jew, for that matter, and say, no, we're good. We can do what we want to do. We have our own ways. We have our own way of worshiping. We don't need you to tell us what to do and how to do it. And on top of that, Jesus, with his face set to or towards Jerusalem, he's making a statement that Jerusalem is the place of worship. Jerusalem is the place where you will hear and receive God. After all, when Jesus laments of the city of Jerusalem, he is saying, 
where the prophets have died, where the culmination of the missions of the prophets, where the people of God reside, even though that they're a rebellious people and they reject the prophets and the prophecies of God, yet that is still the center place where God's people live and reside. And for that, the Samaritans don't particularly like that. And they don't want to deal with Jesus in the sense of who and what he is as the messenger of God, the true messenger of God coming to deliver salvation. And so we see that uh, in verse 53, but the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Again, they don't like the idea that Jesus is coming and making a pit stop just to announce his work and, again, point to Jerusalem as the centerpiece or the center place of worship. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And you, you hear the, the dramatic tone in that. And uh, this is James and John. This is the sons of Zebedee. They have the, the great nickname, the Sons of Thunder. And I don't want to throw them under the bus. And I don't want them to make, I don't want to make them sound bad or impetuous. They take offense to the way Jesus is being treated by the Samaritans. And they take offense because it's the idea that their Lord, the Son of God, has come to deliver himself, to teach, to deliver the the, the salvation, the promise, the hope, the fulfillment of the law to the Samaritans. And they outright reject him. Now, It is a little bit extreme what James and John want to do. They want to bring fire down to simply wipe them off of the face of the earth. And and I've thought about this a little bit. And I think it's interesting in the sense that, well, if they're not going to accept salvation, they're as good as dead. And let's just give them what they want. Let's just wipe them out. Let's not deal with them. Let's just get rid of them. And I think they have a little ground to stand on. So so hear me out. When God told Israel after the 40 years of wandering in the desert, and this is the next generation, those who uh, came after the, the rebellious people of the the wandering in the desert. So this would be their their children when Joshua leads Israel into the promised land. God simply says the promised land is inhabited by unbelievers, the unclean people, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and so on and so forth. Wipe them out. Leave no one. And we know through Scripture that they don't. And the people of Israel intermarry. They start taking on the false worship, the customs that point away from God. Uh, These relationships actually get in the way of who and what God is for his people. And so God very well knows who he's talking to and who he's dealing with. He's talking with rebellious people, people easy, uh, easily swayed, easily uh, distracted. And so God is trying to remove any obstacle so that he can truly establish what he has promised. And we, and I do mean that in the the true sense that we're connected to Israel, we're the spiritual offspring, 
we continue to look at God and give him great lip service. Of course, God, you are our only God. And then immediately we see something shiny or we see something neat. We see something new and we go after it. We we want more or we want something different. We want to do the, the thing that everybody else is doing. And when I say things like that, I always hear my mother's voice um, if everybody else jumped off a bridge, would you do the same? And to be, um, well, unkind to my mother, I always said, well, maybe I would. And my mom, uh, with all her wisdom, always said, no, you wouldn't, and you need to listen to your mother. And my mother was always right, and the situations worked out better when I listened to my mother. But in the same sense, we have... James and John, seeing that these people have rejected God and to wipe them out, they're, they're following suit to what they've seen and heard and have been taught in the Old Testament. The unbelievers, those who oppose Israel, oppose God, are to be wiped out. They are to not be obstacles to the way. So they, they, they are zealous for God. They, they want to make things right. They want to protect Jesus. They want to protect his message, his gift and his message or his mission. And, and what's interesting about this is how do you protect a lion? Now think of that. Think of a lion. The, the, the huge mane, the, the large teeth, uh, a normal lion. Just his neck muscles can lift up to something like 1,500 pounds. That is not a small animal. So how do you protect a lion? Well, the easy answer is you let him go. That means he's fully capable of protecting himself. And this is true for God, and this is true for Jesus. Jesus is fully capable of protecting himself, fully prote uh, capable of protecting his miss mission, his message, his work. It will not be stopped because people reject it. It will not be stopped because a city rejects him. And so this is the message that he delivers to James and John. He simply says to them, but he turned and rebuked them. And he simply says no, and he corrects them. And I don't think that he doesn't mean or why are you doing this? I think he points out why he has come to deliver even the Samaritans, to bring the message of Christ crucified and the forgiveness of sins even to those who reject him. And even today in our culture, and as of this recording this morning, I heard that um, in America, a mere 80% of all Americans actually believe in God. And this is the ambiguous God. We're not talking about the one holy trinity God. This is just God. And this is the lowest that it's ever been. And this is a scary statement. And so the question is, does God come to only those who believe? Well, no, God actually offers himself to even the unbelievers, even to that 20% who deny, renounce God. And we need to remember that just because people say they don't believe in God, they have now substituted God with something else. Is it the love of money? Is it the love of sex? Is it the love of possessions? Is it the love of government? Is it fill in the blank? And we're all guilty of this because we're all guilty of the first commandment. 
And here in this sense, we see that Jesus even goes to the Samaritans, those who have false worship practices, and he comes to offer himself so that they too will know that salvation has come and has been offered to them. Now, we have no record of how the Samaritans, if they believed after, when Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit was given to the church, we, we don't know what happened to the Samaritans. But we hear that God in Jesus stops James and John from the hostility that they offered to bring fire and brimstone from heaven to wipe these people out so that they too can hear the gospel. And I think this is really important. Actually, I don't think. I know it's really important. Because if we think about it, you and I as sinners, how many chances has God given us? Now, the, the littlest sin, whatever just popped into your head, you know, that little white lie or that, that you know, you're speeding or, or whatever little sin, that is enough to earn a front row seat into hell. Yet what does Jesus do? He takes that sin and stands before God in judgment and says, I have done that. He stands in your place and suffers the full wrath of God. Yes, even for that little sin. Now think of how many times have you done that little sin. Now think of how many times you have sinned without realizing it or acknowledging it. And Jesus has suffered and died even for those sins. And so we need to take in consideration how blessed we are, how truly loved we are, and how deep God's grace and compassion is for us that he continues to offer this love, this forgiveness, this peace. And think in the simple sense, how many times have you dealt with someone in, in your life who has continually wronged you? How it has worn your patience to the point where you maybe even gave up. You stopped dealing with that person. You, you cut them out of your life or you just are simply polite to them, but you actually really don't deal with them. God never stops dealing with you. God never stops uh, loving you. God never stops offering his salvation, his promise, his forgiveness. He never stops offering Christ crucified to and for you. And that's just huge. And I think we can connect that to what Jesus does here with going to the Samaritans and stopping James and John from wiping them out. Well, then the text continues, and it shifts focus just a little bit. And we hear that uh, this is verse 57 of uh, St. Luke chapter 9. As they were going along the road, someone said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
So we have these couple of situations where Jesus is a, a walking along and the disciples are with him. And I'm pretty sure this is more than just the 12 disciples. I'm pretty sure he has a large group and his fame has gone before him. He is preaching something that is new, that is unique. He is a political force and he is challenging not only the Jewish re religious elite, but he's also challenging Rome and he hasn't backed down. And so people always want to be connected with the new thing or, or the big thing. And so you see that, uh, again, the first one, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, I'm homeless. I have no place to lay my head. This is the life that you will be brought into. And Jesus promises that following him is not easy. It is not uh, that we get to have a happy-go-lucky life. It doesn't mean that everything suddenly works out. Your children are now suddenly well-behaved. Uh, riches fall into place. Jesus actually promises, for my name's sake, you will suffer. And Jesus shows that just simply by showing that he is homeless and he has no place to even lay his head. And he seeks the help of those who are around him to provide for the earthly needs of this life. Yet even another one says, I will follow you, but first let me bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Now, this isn't Jesus being ungracious and saying that, uh, no, you can't bury your father. I'm more important. Leave him, leave him to rot. Uh, there's some indication, the possibility that maybe his father was in fact just sick and they were death was near. And Jesus in that statement, let the dead bury the dead, is making the statement that those who are dead in their trespasses, dead in their sin, dead to the mission of God, let them take care of the dead. And Jesus again is offering, have faith, believe in what I have given, and be delivered. And this means to serve your father who is dying. This means to serve your family, to serve your neighbor. And so this man, when he says, I need to bury my father, really seems to be making an excuse. Jesus, I hear what you're saying. I like it but I got some things to take care of, then I will be all yours. And this is, this is right up my alley, for I see all the gifts and the works of God here at Holy Cross, and I'm excited. There's, there's opportunities truly abound here at Holy Cross, but yet too often it's, okay, after we get enough money, after we get enough people, after we set up this program, after I read this book, after I write this paper, after I write this news article, after I do this, after I do that, and two things right there that you should hear. It's always after I do something, then we or God or the program or the action can take, can take place. In those situations, I, with no issue, have placed my trust, my faith in my work or the completion of whatever is next, only to find the next thing. And with this, dear, dear listener, it's not me procrastinating in the work of God. It's always the whole, well, if I just do more, if I, if I just give more. And we need to sometimes truly let go 
and let God work in what we have and listen to Him and trust that He will complete, that He will fulfill His work in and through the processes, the programs that are already established, or that He will reveal the true way that we need to go instead of saying, okay, I've done all these things, now God will work We can't bind God and force God to work. We get to participate in His work and His life as He has given it. And yet, there is even another one who says that He uh, will—Jesus says, follow me. And again, this offer to come into the life and the mission of God. But yet, the people that are standing around with Jesus— continue to offer excuses. And they're good excuses. I need to take care of my family. I need to take care of these things. And Jesus, and yet another man says, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. And it it sounds so cold-hearted that Jesus uh, says, no one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And with this, the disciples, it's not like that they signed on to forsake their family and they never saw their family. The disciples often saw their family. We, we hear that, in fact, St. Peter takes Jesus to his mother-in-law to heal her. So there's a lot of connection to family. And by having a relationship with God in Jesus through the Holy Spirit, this doesn't mean that you now forsake all other relationships. You are called as father, as mother, as son, as daughter, as brother, as sister, as whatever your vocation, your place here in the relationship with others. You are called to serve and to participate. You are to bring Christ to them. You are to be little Christs in other people's lives. And so Jesus by no means is saying, forsake your family and follow me. He is pointing out once again that what you're asking is after you say goodbye to your family, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And this man is putting obstacles into the fullness of following Jesus, the fullness of having faith, trust in what God is giving and doing in and through Jesus. And the the immensity of all these statements and all these actions is the wonderful reminder that we too often uh, try to organize and categorize God after I do this, or if I just had a little more faith, or if I just read the Bible a bit more, if I just read the, uh, the catechism more, if I just prayed more, if, if, and so on and so forth. And again, as, as I said earlier, Sometimes we need to just have that childlike faith and step and walk by faith and not by sight, trusting that not only will God provide, but that he will keep us and hold us even through the hardships of this life, even through the pains and sufferings, knowing that he has already conquered all that would separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment 
to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.